Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Student Perspectives, the podcast where we talk with student pharmacists about their unique challenges and opportunities presented throughout their professional journey. My name is Autumn Pienard. And my name is Maya Hardin. And today we will be chatting with Dr. Ben Gross from Lipscomb University College of Pharmacy, Dr. Santi Banez from Larkin University College of Pharmacy, Dr. Benavides from PCOM, and Dr. Amato at MCPHS University, Boston, about virtual interview etiquette. Thanks for joining us today. As the world has been called to exercise appropriate social distancing measures and limited in-person interactions during the COVID-19 pandemic, many of our professional engagements and interviews are changing to virtual platforms. Before we dive into our tips and tricks, I wanted to take a few moments and chat with you about your expertise. Can you tell us a little about what your position and involvement with virtual interviews is? Let's start with Dr. Amato. Thank you. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice at MCPHS University in Boston, and my practice site's at Brigham and Women's Hospital in the Division of General Internal Medicine and Primary Care. In the past, I was a residency program director for PGY2 residencies in pharmacotherapy and geriatrics and primary care at a VA. That was long ago. And then more recently, a PGY1 preceptor at a large group practice hospital. But most recently and currently, I serve as fellowship coordinator for a two-year fellowship in outcomes research and informatics at Brigham and Women's Hospital and MCPHS. And we have in the past done phone screening interviews for applicants. But this year with COVID happening, we did a lot of interviews and also just planning for onboarding our new fellow using the virtual platforms such as Zoom and Teams and WebEx and things. So we've been using that a lot more frequently this past year. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Amato. Dr. Benavidez, would you like to share? Yes, I have had the opportunity in my nearly two decades in academia and clinical practice to be on both ends of the virtual interview, both as an interviewer and an interviewee. I served on various residency committees at the hospitals where I had practice sites at. And often we would begin with a phone interview prior to the on-site interview, which is also critical to the interviewing process. I also helped recruit for fellows from around the world and we utilize video conferencing. I've also served on a number of faculty search committees and typically was involved in a phone interview with the candidates we were interested in. Most recently though, over the past two years, I have done many video conferencing interviews and phone interviews for various positions, including academic, retail, and some other different unique pharmacy experiences. Some have been very successful and some not as successful. I hope I can bring some pointers on what works well and what does not. Thank you so much, Dr. Benavides. On to Dr. Gross. Thank you. Ben Gross, Associate Professor at Lipscomb University College of Pharmacy. We currently have position, my position is Director of Residency Programs, and I oversee not only how our programs recruit, but also assist our students during the residency process. I'm also a residency program director for a PGY2 and ambulatory care and preceptor for many of the residency programs that are affiliated with our college. So I'm very involved in the interview process, uh, as well as providing guidance to programs on how to conduct interviews, including virtual interviews. Thank you, Dr. Gross. And Dr. Santibanez. Thank you. 
I'm currently an assistant professor focused on acute care therapeutics at Larkin University College of Pharmacy, which is the only accelerated three-year PharmD program in the state of Florida. My teaching focus has been in cardiology, infectious diseases, and of course, the critical care applications of various diseases across the entire curriculum. I hold a practice site as a clinical pharmacist faculty at Memorial Regional Hospital, where I serve in a more outcomes and research role for the ICU pharmacy group, including assisting with didactic elements of our critical care API student rotation, and also serving on the PGY2 Critical Care Pharmacy Residency Advisory Committee. Within our College of Pharmacy, I've served on our admissions committee, both as a member and also as a general faculty member helping with interviews. And prior to COVID, we did our interviews in the traditional face-to-face format. But since COVID became a reality for us in March of 2020, our college transitioned pretty seamlessly and successfully to virtual admissions interviews in which faculty are coming in at different portions to present the curriculum, also moderating group interview scenarios, and also performing one-on-one multiple mini interviews with our prospective student candidates. Within the college, I am also the current advisor for our Phi Lambda Sigma student chapter. And as of this semester, we've tried to adapt to the virtual interviewing program and format by having our students in the program participating in mock residency interviews through Microsoft Teams. In my hospital practice site, I serve on our PGY2 Critical Care Residency Advisory Committee, which often works with a lot of web conferencing and getting our hospital involved with all of the other hospitals in the health system, also with interviewing on sites, candidates, as well as virtual interviews for candidates who are who are distant. Thank you so much, Dr. Santibanez, and thank you all for sharing all of your background and expertise. Moving on to our next question. As you have probably observed, virtual engagements are somewhat different than our traditional in-person experiences. Let's explore some challenges and changes in professional etiquette. Starting with logistics, what are some important technological and operational considerations before the interview day? Dr. Benavides, would you like to start? Absolutely. So personally, the worst experiences I've had on either side is computer malfunction or telephone malfunction, any way that you are conducting these interviews. I remember being on an interview for a fellow from the Middle East, and I couldn't make out anything that was said due to the poor connection. And it was really unfortunate for that candidate because we really couldn't evaluate how qualified he may have been. Recently, I had an issue where I didn't have a correct logon for a specific room, and the dean of the program was waiting for me. So that was a little bit stressful on my end, particularly right before that one-on-one meeting. I recommend to download the application that you will be using and test it with your camera and microphone. I've actually had a phone conference with somebody else to make sure that my equipment worked well before I actually had the interview. And of course, not doing it on the day of the interview or five minutes before is preferred. I always want to check the lighting to see how I will look or how you will look. And in my situation, I did have to always adjust my camera or you would see basically from my chin up. So I had to make sure that I had it exactly where I wanted in advance. Fortunately, in that situation that I spoke about, not being able to connect with the interviewer, I did have the contact information for someone, which I recommend you always have in case you can't connect or electricity runs out, et cetera. In that example, I had the administrative assistance number and it was resolved immediately. I do believe you have to be comfortable to ensure your personality comes out. Perhaps through all of the experiences I had, 
I did become more comfortable and was able to connect on many interviews. So that takes practice and some commitment on your end before you actually do the real interview. It may not come quickly, but it will. Thank you so much for those wonderful tips. Dr. Gross, would you like to answer next? Absolutely. And, and she touched on a number of things that, that I think about from that perspective, the good connection, and then being aware how you look on screen. I kind of chuckle when you think about looking at someone's chin when you're not seeing them appropriately. So making sure that you practice the position of your camera and what it looks like. And then also being prepared and practicing it in an environment where you look professional and your demeanor is professional. Even though you're in a virtual environment, you need to feel as if you're looking at the interview just across the desk or where you're actually positioned your computer. Take advantage of doing mock interviews. I mean, many colleges of pharmacy, schools of pharmacies have that opportunity. If they don't, make sure you practice with a friend who is willing to critique you. My preference would be someone who's a faculty mentor or a faculty member that you have some experience with that can critique you for that and provide guidance on how to improve your interviewing skills. You don't want to necessarily appear rehearsed, but practicing this in this environment will help a lot. And the appropriate eye contact is also very important during this process. Thank you so much, Dr. Rice. Dr. Santabanez, would you like to share your thoughts with us? Absolutely. And I wanted to echo a point made by Dr. Benavides about the importance of downloading the app, whatever web conferencing platform it is that's going to be used on your interviews so that you don't appear as if you're really learning about this for the first time when it's interview day. And that from the program standpoint, it makes you look more committed and determined to the program that you're even willing to learn about things non-pharmacy related, such as how to use the web application. And also Dr. Gross's point about simulating that you're interviewing across the desk, even though you're looking into a camera, but trying to make it as real as possible. I also think that this year with our residency interviews, going all virtual for the most part. The importance of candidates being able to control their environments is going to be at the forefront. This has typically not been a possibility with our traditional interviewing format, because once you were on site, you had an agenda, you knew you were speaking to a predetermined list of people and in a predetermined room, and you were shuttled around from room to room, office to office, you didn't really have an ability to control those elements of the environment in which you were interviewing. However, now with the virtual platforms and the virtual interviews, candidates can actually pre-select what environment they want to be seen in when they interview, since you're going to have your camera on. And all those tips about lighting and the appropriateness of the angle of the camera, all of that is also very, very important. But I would also say that even simpler things like the wall color of the room you're at, if it's like an overly depressing color or an overly cheery color, to make sure that that selection of even those um, simpler elements of the environment, that that matches your personality and the message you wanna send about yourself to the program, to the people you are interviewing with. Even we've had these discussions with some of our students during mock interviews. If you have a very either distracting or interesting poster, picture, framed artwork of some sort on the back of the wall behind you and the camera's picking up on that, maybe if you can find a way to selectively pick what artwork or again, what color of the wall and the room characteristics that you wanna be in so that those are some of those subliminal factors that you can work into your interview responses so that the program representatives remember you better and remember your personality and whether you're going to be a good fit for their program or not. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Santabanez. This are, these are definitely points that are very helpful moving forward as so many students begin to interview and um, applying for a residency, but thank you so much. It really draws attention to the little things that we uh, need to pay attention to. So moving on with Dr. Amata. Yes, those are all such great comments, and I agree with many of those that have been made about making sure you're ready to use the conferencing software. You might be really proficient at Zoom, but if it's going to be a WebEx meeting and you haven't used that recently, it's really good to practice with that and make sure that your speakers and microphone and camera and all that are working ahead of time. Some great comments have been made about the background and having that be appropriate. And, and I would think that a, a bad example would be a background full of clutter with a lots of papers and clutter that's, that's really distracting. Having it be more of a sending that message such as has already been discussed about having a, a nice appropriate background. You don't want to have, if you have some really cool virtual background that you use that's, that's really kind of bold, I wouldn't suggest not using that and sticking with something that's more either representative of who you are or just a professional background. And the lighting has already been mentioned. You know, it's easy to, to look like really dark if you have the outside window shining in. So you just really want to make sure you're aware of how you look on camera. Also want to make sure you're planning for it to be in a quiet spot. You know, if you have roommates or people in your home that are going to be walking back and forth, plan ahead of time and try to see if you can have a quiet space so that you're not going to get interruptions. Turn off your cell phone, put it in a separate area. That's something that you can control. If you have pets or children or other family members that are going to be there, just see if you can try to have them not be there during the interview if possible. During COVID, during work-related meetings, we've all been a little bit more tolerant of having appearances from pets and children and that kind of thing, but I just wouldn't suggest it during an interview where you're really trying to remain more professional. And then, so these are some things that you can control. One other suggestion would be that I wouldn't suggest doing it outside. A, a lot of people do meetings outside because it's nice scenery and everything. Again, kind of nice during a, a meeting at work, but there could be distractions like birds and noises and things. So I wouldn't suggest doing your interview while you're outside. And those are some things that you can plan for. There are certainly things that you can't plan for, but... I've had things such as fire drills occurring in students' dorms during interviews. And, and uh, yesterday, we just had a residency showcase, a regional residency showcase that was widely Zoom-bombed so that people were meeting in Zoom rooms and, uh, and got kicked out. So those you can't plan for, but at least you can do some of these things that we've mentioned that you can plan for. Thank you so much, Dr. Amato. And thank you all for answering these, um, this question and just expanding upon so many things that can help um, so many interview candidates um, in the upcoming future. Yes, thank you so much. Those are some really, really great tips that I think we'll all find a lot of value in. Very practical. Practicing is still very important to make a positive impression and taking the extra time to ensuring your connection will not have any hiccups. What about the content? How should learners prepare to make a positive impression in advance of a virtual interview? And uh, Dr. Gross, if you'd like to kick us off on that, that'd be wonderful. Be happy to. I was going to say that in some sense, we should treat the virtual just as if it was a on-site interview. So make sure you've done your research on the program. The interview may only last a few minutes in this environment. So you only have a few minutes maybe to ask those few important questions. So make sure you choose questions that show the program you did your research beforehand. I reiterate this a lot in the fact to dress professionally and be mindful of your expressions because they become enhanced uh, in the virtual environment. And I've seen that even when I've done interviews myself. Be prepared for rapid fire questions. I think that's something that, that goes with the uh, context of the interview. 
In typical on-site interviews, it can be somewhat less formal at times because you're moving in between maybe interviewing individuals. And we as, as residency program directors are trying to get to know you a little bit. But in the virtual environment, things are going to be a lot more structured because you want to make sure to get the information necessary. And so you may be, and I would prepare for more of those personality types of questions that might occur during the interview process. Thank you for that, Dr. Gross. Those are some really good points for us to consider. Dr. Santibanez? I think this point has already been hit upon a few times, but I'll just bring it up again because I think it's very, very important. And it's about not just conducting dry runs and mock interviews that'll simulate the scenarios you're going to be placed in when you actually interview, but also having access to the conferencing platforms and being aware of the big ones. So Zoom, WebEx, Microsoft Teams is a good place to start. I would advise also if you have the ability to go in and get many of these offer like a free trial period that you don't have to subscribe or become a paid subscriber, but you get to test it out for a certain amount of time. And while you have that trial of the program, you can experiment with what are the subtleties and the differences of how WebEx performs versus Zoom versus Teams versus others. This is also something you can prepare yourself for when you're scheduling the interview as you're talking to the residency program director or whomever is going through the the process with you and just asking them whether you should expect one particular platform or another so that you can already do your legwork and be prepared. On the subject of conducting dry runs, I think this is also also important for applicants to do on the various platforms, but also simulating the variety of interview conditions that you can be exposed to. So for example, just one-on-one interviews, group interviews, panel interviews, clinical scenarios, Dr. Gross just mentioned the personality type questions, and making sure that you pick an individual who is going to give you honest and valuable feedback on how you perform in those scenarios so that you know kind of what it is that you need to work on because you kind of you may get thrown any one of these scenarios in the virtual uh, environment when it comes to interviewing. All really great points, making sure we understand the platform and uh, we're prepared for lots of different types of interview conditions that we might experience. Thank you so much. Dr. Amato. Yes, and I would add to um, just in preparing to be ready for to have some kind of backup plan. I think this was mentioned earlier, but just, you know, if something does go wrong and you get disconnected to have have a cell phone number or something that you're going to do if you do get disconnected so that you, you can conduct the interview and you don't get left out. But regarding preparing for the interview and, and potential content and questions, it's really important to be prepared, just like with an on-site interview for some of the potential questions you'll get asked, but to be ready to really be able to give... Um, a good answer and make an impression in a short period of time. Practice giving answers to questions where you can really convey how your interest in the program and how you differ, what you can bring to a program, or convey some of the experiences that you had as a student that were learning experiences for you or impactful on you in a short period of time. And I know uh, our students, they have to prepare a business plan in their last year at pharmacy school. And they say that They watch the TV show Shark Tank just to kind of get prepared to give elevator speeches. In other words, giving a short speech to really convey the message that you want to get across in a short, uh, concise amount of time because you may have less time in the virtual setting. And those would be my main recommendations to prepare for the, the content of an interview. Thank you so much. And I think you make an important point about having a backup plan. That's really, really something that we should all consider when we're doing that. Also, I've never seen Shark Tank, so I'll have to check that one out. 
Thank you so much. Dr. Benavides. I definitely want to echo what everybody else has said to this point. And one of the most important things is to really practice. If you do download the application, as Dr. Santabanis had recommended, and learn how to use it, if you get the chance to videotape yourself and watch it, you will learn a lot. You may also learn how many times you say, um, or any other um, different pauses or things that some interviewees, um, I just said it, don't like that much or make some weird face gestures. These may be projected onto a larger screen. And as Dr. Gross has said, they can be amplified. So that would be really helpful. So you can see for yourself what you will look like on the other end. Know your content really well, and this goes along with um, the practicing if you're doing a presentation. Don't feel like you can look anything up because you will be connected to the internet or you'll have your phone or you'll have your computer. In some interviews, I even had some difficulty reading notes that I had made, but since I had practiced enough, I knew it wasn't necessary and I was able to just go with the flow. So having that practice is critical. Do not focus on how many people are in the room or what their reactions may be. It may appear that somebody may be on the phone and in some of these residency interviews, there are clinical pharmacists or pharmacists that have to come in and out of the room because they have patient care responsibilities. If that distracts you, you can minimize the view of the other presenters. If you don't like to see yourself, somebody gave me a tip once that you can put a post-it to cover yourself if you want, but just be sure that you know what you're comfortable with. And when you practice, you will find out what you're most comfortable with. Those are some some really great tips. And I think you pointed something out that's really important is seeing how you look when you're interviewing. And so I just wanted to take a quick moment to plug something called interview stream that our students do have access to through ASHP, which could be a really useful resource for us to do that. Thank you all so much for sharing. I've definitely appreciated hearing everyone's responses as well. And thank you, Autumn, for the interview stream tip as well. I'll definitely look into that. Moving on to our next question. We heard a little about the potential for a condensed time frame in richer content and less time. Now let's bring ourselves into the actual interview day. How could that differ than in-person with regards to the questions and topics that may get discussed? Dr. Gross, would you like to give us your input first? Absolutely. I'd say you may get asked more clinical skills or drug information questions than normal. Students across the country had learning experiences change and we're and you guys are all in the same boat in that regard. So that it's not a disadvantage, but just know that as a program, we're going to have to determine your knowledge. So we're going to ask you probably more clinical skills, drug informications than we normally would. You're definitely going to get those questions about flexibility and adaptability. And you can't just say that I'm flexible or adaptable. It's important that you provide some good examples um, throughout this process, throughout your year, especially in your fourth year of rotations. Since the actual interview may be virtual in nature, uh, except for more of those personality types of questions, I've kind of mentioned that before, not don't want to be redundant, but I think it's very important to, to keep in mind and have examples ready for those types of questions because we're trying to determine fit and we're trying to do that through a virtual environment and that can be difficult at times. You may have more people interviewing because you're, it is in a virtual environment, but because of the issues with staffing and COVID, there may be less overall time with each group of interviewers. So choose your questions wisely and then also try to answer promptly because that allows you more time and more productive time with the group of people that you're interviewing with. Thank you, Dr. Gross. It seems like a very big common theme is preparing ahead of time, 
practicing just so we get that experience before the actual interview starts. Thank you so much. Dr. Santavania? Yeah, I'd like to first piggyback off of what Dr. Gross just alluded to with the importance of finding a fit from the standpoint of the program and also from your standpoint as the applicant. That's the goal. You want to find a fit and in a virtual environment, it's often difficult to make sure that that fit that you're perceiving is accurate or that it isn't being influenced by other external factors. I think this particular year and this particular cycle of residency applicants, it's going to be key for you all to have that recognition and that acknowledgement that despite any personal dissatisfaction you may have with the transition to virtual learning, virtual functioning, remote functioning, and same on our end, the whole world has had to make this transition simultaneously and we've all had to adapt to it. So to that point about questions related to adaptability and flexibility, do expect those. And as Dr. Gross said, you can't just say, I am adaptable. Give a specific example. In our particular area in South Florida right now, since end of last APPY year, we've been having sites just closing rotations for students when COVID started. And we still have the bulk of our hospital sites not fully open yet for, for all rotations. So our students have been kind of shuttled around to the limited sites that are offering in-person rotations, or they've been shifted to a virtual format. So you have great examples right here of how you have had to make a transition to something unexpected and programs wanna see that you made that transition successfully. They don't want you to complain about it. They don't want you to say, I don't like virtual blah, 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 because we all are in the same boat. So you all share the perspective about what it is like to live in these times right now with the adjustments we have all had to make. I think similarly in these times, Whereas before we would recommend that you not ask anything that can be easily found on a program's website because some locations across the country have had more difficult times in getting back up to quote normal since COVID it's possible that some of these programs, even in anticipation of residency interviews, haven't been able to fully update their websites yet. So some information that would have been available, even changes in rotations, for example, or rotation offerings, that just may not be there. And you may not have a chance to ask about it or find out about it until mid-year and then the interview later. So I would say, take this with a grain of salt, but it may be a more acceptable time for you to ask about certain things like relocation, benefits, and any of those other factors that you previously were told, do not ask about this if it is not up on their website for the program. I think regardless, you still need to maintain that same level of professionalism and as in the pre-pandemic times where you shouldn't just outright ask anyone how much you your starting salary is because then it looks like you're just trying to take a position for the money and not for the experience. You know, you can still be strategic about how you work those questions into your overall list of questions, but just be aware that some of those items that were previously up on websites just may not have had a chance to be updated as often or as, as frequently as you would expect. And then finally, for our students and applicants that are coming from areas of the country that have been more affected by the pandemic than others, and those hotspots have shifted over the last half a year or so, you all should be more able to effectively speak to your adaptability and your personal innovation and your in initiative to take on new challenges than individuals interviewing from parts of the country that have seen a minimal impact of COVID. 
So while COVID has dominated our lives and all of the discussions in personal and professional circles, this is a time where you can certainly work that into your examples as you're answering questions. And programs will want to see if you came from a hotspot center and you were able to keep your sanity, do your work and not burn out, more likely than not, you're going to be a, a more attractive residency candidate than somebody who hasn't gone through those experiences at this point in their career yet. So those are just my tips for this area. Thank you so much, Dr. Santabanez. That Those are wonderful, wonderful points about being flexible, but not only saying that you're flexible, but demonstrating through specific examples how we were flexible through the pandemic. And even now, um, how we're, you know, how things have just shifted to online and how everyone has to basically contribute to a group effort into making things work. Thank you so much. Dr. Amada, would you like to um, go next? Uh, yeah, just a couple comments. I would definitely agree with the previous two speakers' comments about talking about the resiliency and some of the things you've done to manage during the COVID crisis. In Massachusetts here, we had our surge earlier, so we were having the surges uh, in March. I can still remember the date, March 12th, where literally our students on rotation went home on a Thursday and were told, don't come back Friday, drop everything, we're now 100% virtual. And so it was just kind of, they had to really shift very quickly. And then it was that way for several months. And now we're just back on site with rotations and starting to become still many of the courses are virtual. But it would be really great to be able to learn how, depending on where you were during the COVID then or now, how you did manage in a positive way, putting a positive light on things. We all know it's stressful to have to switch to virtual and to spend all this time in front of screens every day. But just hearing examples from students about how they managed, like going outside for walks or doing online yoga, or we had a group of students that worked with the school of public health students and to help with contact tracing for our state or, or help distributing supplies uh, to, uh, to people in the community. So all those are great examples of putting a, making the best of the situation as we have it and showing resiliency and how you were able to manage. And I, I think really putting a positive spin on things rather than complaining is a, a great way to show how you were able to overcome challenges and work in, in the current world that we're doing. So definitely agree with, the, with the, what everyone else has said as well. Thank you so much for your comments. It's definitely going to be very interesting to see how different students have adapted and how everyone from all over the country has adapted and just how they've adjusted to this new virtual format and, um, you know, their stories behind um, whenever the pandemic started to change things around. So thank you so much. And Dr. Benavides, would you like to answer um, as well? Yes, I have just a couple of points. I really agreed with everybody's comments on how to prepare to answer questions. But another important thing, as it was mentioned before, was to make sure that this is going to be a good fit for you is equally as important. You want to be sure that you're going into a program that you're going to be successful and you're going to fit with the program and get the most out of the residency that you can. So this is also going to take preparing and really understanding what's important to you in a program just like you would on an on-site interview, and what kind of questions you're going to want answered to make those types of decisions. So trying to do all your research in advance and seeing what may be updated and what may not, it's important to have the questions that you're hoping to get answered during that time frame so that you can make your decision. In many instances, I was fortunate because people would say, if you have questions about you know, HR stuff, contact this person. If you have questions about this, contact that person. And so that was helpful. But be sure that you know exactly kind of what you want to ask because you'll get a chance to ask questions. It just may not be as extended because a lot of the times you could ask those questions in between sessions, during lunch, 
just meeting with different preceptors and current residents. So it'll be really important to research the program, do some searching for yourself to see what's important to you, making that list and trying to get all of your questions answered in that time frame. Thank you so much, Dr. Benavides. And thank you everyone for answering this question so thoroughly and just giving students and applicants everywhere, you know, just some gems on how to prepare ahead of time and how to make sure we're the right fit for places that we interview. Yes, I agree. Thank you so much for sharing that information. And I, I really appreciate the fact that the discussion went to a place of that we're, we were all in this together. We all experienced the pandemic together and have had our own unique experiences. And I think it, it is important to speak to that and for the students interviewing as well to kind of hear how the programs adapted to the changes and how that might work for them in terms of their fit with that program as well. So thank you so much. That was really valuable information. Moving on, there is always the element of unpredictability with the virtual environment. Can we explore that a little? How can interviewees professionally handle potential hiccups? For example, if they lose internet or power, if they get removed from the video, or there's an unpredictable external distractor that pops up. Dr. Benavides, uh, if you'd like to get us started on that. Absolutely. So one of the most recent experiences that I did have was as I was presenting my presentation, somebody's phone began to ring. And unfortunately, the person did not mute the phone. And the person took the call. Fortunately, he ended it quickly, but everybody on the Zoom meeting, it was actually a different application, which I had never heard of, which was why it was important to download that application. He ended it quickly, but everybody on the Zoom call did get to hear his conversation. While he was presenting, it did feel like it was a very long distraction. And I tried to continue to present despite listening to his conversation. I'm sure it only lasted about 20 seconds at the most, but it felt like it was two minutes. So what I had to do when the call initially was taken, I smiled and I kept trying to present. I paused for a little bit and then I just started again as if it had never happened. So during the question session, he did apologize for the distraction. And I just said, I figured you were just seeing how I would react in an uncomfortable situation. And so I wasn't upset. It's just something that happens. I stayed positive about it and it was a done deal. In the instances that connections are lost, again, try to contact somebody as quickly as possible to reach out to that contact person. I have never been Zoom bombed during an interview but during a normal meeting I have. And again, that you just come off if you have to and then reconnect as soon as you can. I have had places where my connection wasn't very good and having to make sure that I had a phone that I could call a number for and have those numbers ready because if you're having to look them up, it can get very stressful for you. Expect the unexpected. And if it happens, stay calm and reconnect. If the problem was on your end, just apologize and begin where you left off. If it was not on your end, do not make a huge deal out over it. And watch out for your facial expressions because your facial expressions can tell a whole different story than what you're saying. And they can illustrate how you reacted to pressure. On your end, remember, turn off your cell phone like like what was said before and smartwatches too. I noticed that during rotation, when I asked students on rotations, every time they got a message or an email on their watch, they would look at their watch And I thought that they were just bored when they were checking the time because they were bored. And then I realized they were smartwatches. So if you can, 
avoid looking at it, but be sure you have a place where you can see the time in order to know where you are in the interview. Be sure you have high-speed internet if at all possible. And like was mentioned before, if you're home with your family, let them know that you are on an important call or make sure that they're away. My sons are a little older. And so I pretty much had to, they were homeschooling. So I pretty much had to put the fear of God into them because oftentimes they'll just erupt in a fight. So um, just being prepared as much as you can beforehand and covering your bases will make it that much better experience for you. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Benavides. I think something that we've been hearing quite frequently throughout this podcast interview here is that always have a plan B, always practice with the program beforehand, do your best to eliminate all of the distractions that are potentially out there, just being as prepared as you possibly can be and knowing how to respond when things kind of don't go as planned or unexpected. I think we've all heard kind of the similar things here with everybody so far in regards to this. And so um, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I'm going to pass it on to Maya. Thank you, Autumn. I really liked the story about the distractions and interruptions and the importance of just being understanding when we have these unavoidable things and these accidental distractions and things that happen. And I really understand how important it is just to pick up where we left off and be sure that we're you know, being understanding and watching our facial expressions when things like that do happen. So now more than ever, programs and employers are looking at the virtual profiles of their prospective candidates. What are some steps that our listeners can take in order to make a good impression before and after a virtual interaction? Dr. Santabanez, would you like to start us off? Absolutely. Okay, I think for the switch to virtual functioning in every aspect of that word, For social media, we are now, because of some of the events that have been happening in this country and across the world, we've been seeing social media actually being used to put out certain messages instead of just opinions or more frivolous things, for lack of a better word. But I think as applicants for residency programs, you also have to keep in mind that distinction between which social media platforms you use and what content you share on the various platforms. So I would always recommend, and I do to our our students and anyone interested in continuing their um, progression later on, is to have at least one dedicated professional social media platform, which historically has been LinkedIn, and making sure that you keep your LinkedIn profile current, that you have all the pertinent details. You do not need to have every single event that you have done on LinkedIn, but use that as like a shortened version of your CV because you can put it out there for the whole public to see, including potential residency program directors. Additionally, I would just stress the importance of email etiquette. Besides composing proper email and having the right message within that email, also making sure that you follow up in an appropriate time frame. So anywhere from 24 to 48 hours from when you interviewed or from when you had a communication with someone from a program that you're communicating with. Not necessarily having to respond the next minute because that may make you seem very desperate or that you're trying to pander to the program, but keeping your response professional and within a professional time frame, so like one to two days. And those would be my points. Thank you, Dr. Santavanez. Dr. Amato, would you like to contribute? Yes, and, and I would add to that, just I agree with having one social media platform be used 
for mostly professional stuff. And then you can have your social media platforms. But even on the social sites, just be aware that those could be shared and be seen by anyone. And that sometimes program directors or, you know, I know colleges sometimes look at this, will look at the social media profiles and just be aware of not saying anything that would be inappropriate, offensive to anyone on these sites. There have been instances where there have been comments, even in in jest or or some type of comments where people have made that that were inappropriate that have resulted in people not receiving jobs or, or positions and that kind of thing. Just be aware of that and that it really is kind of public, even if you have it set on more private, it could be made public. I agree with the email comments. Really, when you're doing emails, you need to make sure that you're, it's not communicating like you would on a text message to someone or a chat room. It really needs to be professional and ha- start out with a greeting, the body of a message, and signing your name at the bottom using correct punctuation and spelling, full sentences, that type of thing is an appropriate type of email. And I agree with the comment about sending uh, emails in a timely way and follow-up emails after an interview are always kind of helpful to to, um, remind the interviewer of your appreciation for having the interview. So those are the main recommendations I have in terms of social media and email communications. Thank you, Dr. Amato. It's very, very important to have proper email etiquette and making sure that we are not using those text message format and things like that. It's, it's a very important reminder that a lot of uh, potential candidates and people need to know. Dr. Gross, would you like to add on? Absolutely. And, and they've shared some great points so far. And I can't stress enough the importance of having up-to-date LinkedIn profiles with your information. I do believe email etiquette is very important. And I I go as far as to suggest even having people proofread the email before you send to a program. If it's a friend, if it's a faculty member, it's something that that allows you to not send those maybe comments or or grammatical things that can can really be enhanced, especially in the environment that we're in and in the market for residencies that these applicants are going through. So I think the degree of error is pretty small. And so I think even proofreading those emails is very important. It's a bit old school, I would say, but the handwritten thank you note may actually be a better opportunity more than ever to engage programs about your interests too. Make sure you're comfortable with the technology being used and and ask those information beforehand. And also respond rapidly, like my colleagues have said today, in correspondence. Trying to get responses back in a timely manner is really important to us. And it just shows that, that one, you're being professional, but you're also being considerate of the program's time and the time they put into actually communicating with you. Thank you, Dr. Gross. And thank you everyone for answering this question in depth and giving examples and things of what to do and what not to do with proper social media, making sure we're coming across as professional and also again about the email etiquette and make sure we're responding in a timely manner. Yes, thank you everyone for, for the information and again for pointing out those do's and don'ts when it comes to your professional profile and social media profiles. We really appreciate that. In closing, each of you have participated in professional engagements conducted virtually. What are some exemplary and challenging behaviors that you have observed? And what are some do's and don'ts of virtual interviewing you wish to share with our listeners today? Dr. Gross, if you could go ahead and get us started, that'd be wonderful. Some things I thought about uh, with this question topic is, and what's frustrating for me is waiting to the last minute for people to get on a virtual call. It can be very, very aggravating. So make sure you're on time. We've discussed, I think, repeatedly throughout this session today about distracting things in your background. 
using earphones, this is something that's come up a lot in faculty meetings and, and, and meetings at my practice. People using earphones and earbuds is great. Uh, it sounds better. But sometimes if you use the wrong type of earbud or ear, earphones, they make a ruffling sound every time you move. And that can be very distracting to the people who are talking to you. I've seen some things that I think have worked out really well in the fact that having your questions actually directed and call, actually calling on the person that you'd like to answer that question has been very helpful. And I think that would be, particularly if that person is uh, someone that you're interested in knowing more information about. For instance, if you're, if you're wanting to know more about the vision of a residency program, that's something that you might want to direct to the residency program director. But if you want to know more about the day-to-day activities, that would be something that you want to direct maybe to the residents that you're interviewing with. If you have a particular area of interest, maybe you are meeting with the cardiology pharmacist, and that's an area that you may want to pursue in your career, maybe directing those questions and calling on them to answer those questions. Pay attention to when they introduce themselves. That's also another thing. It shows very uh, good value and good tone that you know who you're talking to. Do not chew gum. I think that's pretty uh, self-explanatory, but happens a lot actually more than you you imagine, even for faculty. And then make sure you're hydrated so that you're not getting dry mouth. You're going to be a little nervous, you know, the anxiety of of this. Just make sure that you got plenty, plenty of hydration so that you're speaking well. Because in this environment, you're going to need to be able to speak, articulate, and speak well so people can hear you and hopefully select you for their program. Those are some really great points, making sure you're hydrated and directing questions to the appropriate individuals, important things for us to consider. Dr. Santibanez? Sure. And I'll actually start off with my first point is related to something that Dr. Gross himself just mentioned not too long ago about having the interview simulate a real over-the-table interview as much as possible. And I've seen that firsthand and for the first time really to this degree with our students in their mock residency interviews, if we do it, whether through Zoom, through Teams, whatever the format, that they can see the other individual, their interviewer on the screen, but they kind of forget to make that eye contact. And we have to kind of take a time out and double check and tell ourselves, look at the camera as if that's the eyes of the person you're speaking to. So making that quote eye contact with the computer because that's simulating your interviewer. So looking away when you're answering questions, even if the camera is on and and you can see the other person, but if you look away too much or have these diverting eye glances, it may look as if you're distracted or it may look as if you're really trying to develop an answer on the fly as if you don't have anything to say. I would also say something that I noticed for the first time in this last few, these last few months is that sometimes we can assume certain things about the individuals who we're having a meeting or an interview with because these platforms give you a way to either input your name or a shorthand of your name or whatever it may be. And we have to treat this like a patient counseling scenario where you always have to verify the identity of the patient you are speaking to or of the person you're speaking to, because it very well may be that you see a name on the bottom of the the little bubble of the person you're speaking to, and that's not the actual person because they're using somebody else's login or their institutional login. We just had that happen this morning, as a matter of fact, during an Appy student presentation. So just keep those things in mind of verifying who you're speaking to and treating it as much as a real interview situation 
face-to-face -face as possible. And finally, virtual interviews are not perfect, especially under these pandemic and work at home conditions. And a few of my colleagues have already spoken to the fact about minimizing external distractions, but life is not perfect. So oftentimes that large unassuming dog does come running into the room, even though you thought you closed the door or your kids or any other distraction. And when those unforeseen things happen, Go with the flow, work it into whatever you were speaking about. Don't make it such a big deal or don't make it look like such a big deal that you are so taken aback by this distraction that you absolutely have no idea what to do next. It very well may be that in this, this concept of fit with a program and you wanting to leave the program with something memorable to remember you by, it very well may be related to this moment when your dog barged into the room and jumped up on the camera and then they were interviewing your dog for a couple of minutes. Try to use whatever situation presents itself as an example of your adaptability, of your flexibility, and all of those other positive characteristics that you spoke about. And the last thing I'll leave you with is also was mentioned previously to another question is don't assume that because you're having a virtual interview and it's through a computer, that that means if you're asked a clinical question you don't know, that you can just look it up because it's pretty obvious when you're looking something up. You can hear the keyboard clacking, you know, you can see your eyes scrolling side to side as you're reading. And anyone on that call could themselves go to Google, type in the question that you were just asked and see if you're reading something off of Wikipedia, for example, because it was the first thing that popped up and you're pressed for time. So just keep those little little things in mind because you may think it's not noticeable, but it's more noticeable under these conditions than it would be under, in some ways, under face-to-face -face kind of interviews. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Santibanez. I think you made some really important points about adaptability and making sure that you are familiar with your interviewer's name rather than just looking at the screen um, in these virtual platforms and everything you, else you mentioned was very valuable. Thank you so much. Dr. Amato, if you'd like to contribute. Yeah, just to add a couple more do's and don'ts. Everyone's talked about being on time already. And I, I would say by being on time, it means starting early, a few minutes early to allow for in case you lose your internet connection or you're, you find out your battery's dead and you've got to plug in or it just takes a, a you have a slow connection to, to the, the platform. So start early so you're, you're there on time, as others have mentioned. Also, some don'ts. It's been mentioned not to leave your microphone on when others are talking so that, that you don't get that background noise, especially if there's a, it's a group interview. And so you don't want to have that feedback coming back. I would say try to avoid, I mentioned this earlier, but try to avoid distracting virtual backgrounds that are just too distracting for the meeting. Some good examples of good backgrounds have already been given. And a couple of things that I've had happen in at the beginning of formal presentations recently that I thought seemed just really inappropriate is if you're on the meeting early and you have joined early and you start to have a conversation with someone else that's already there, just be aware that many others are joining and it's not really a private conversation. Everybody can hear everything you're saying. And so it's really important not to just say something that you might say one-on-one -on -one in a hallway conversation. It's, it's really a formal meeting and, 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 and don't be too informal at the beginning. Also during the meeting in the chat section, don't be doing chats with comments or feedback, that kind of thing like you might see happen if you're just watching a webinar or, and trying to give feedback as, as a lecture is occurring. It's good to not chat with others unless you're asked to, to post in chat section with any questions you may have. And 
Also, if it is a group interview, try not to monopolize it all. Um, let others give others a chance to speak and give their views. Those are the main points I would add on to the other excellent comments others have made. Thank you so much, Dr. Amato. Some great points about not only what was already mentioned, but about the appropriate use of the chat function and good pointers for group interviewing. So thank you so much for that. We'll wrap up this question with Dr. Benavides. Hey, I don't have too much to add, but some of my pet peeves, again, is an interviewer who is late, somebody who is not professionally dressed, um, especially for a virtual interview, not having a professional attitude, not introducing everybody yourself to everybody and greeting them by their titles, such as doctor. The distractions, they can happen, but as many as you can avoid are helpful. The connection is really important when you're trying to really hear somebody communicate their answers so you can get to know them a little bit more. Having a poor connection can really be bothersome and aggravating. In terms of the platform, one other thing I know we keep harping on, be able to use the platform. That also means knowing how to screen share, knowing which screen you're sharing when you do share that screen. So in case you do share your desktop, it doesn't go to everybody. Or if you have your internet connection on, make sure you know which screen you're sharing and how to uh, minimize other speakers' views and so forth. Um, But other than that, I think everybody has provided some wonderful recommendations and really are the same types of things that I think are critical to a successful interview. Thank you so much for that. And I would absolutely agree. I think everyone here today has provided some really excellent tips and things to consider during the virtual environment this year. And I just want to say thank you. And I really, really appreciate your time today, everyone speaking with us and sharing this information with our students. I would definitely agree with Autumn. I have so enjoyed hearing so many wonderful tips and tricks and feedback about how to navigate this virtual platform that we are all in and how to best present ourselves as students and potential interview candidates. So that's all the time we have today. I want to thank everyone for joining us today to discuss virtual etiquette. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP Student Resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as targeted materials on career transitions for students, information on residency, and research tools. Be sure to also check out the Student Connect community where you can exchange ideas with your peers. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of Student Perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and be sure to subscribe to ASHP Podcasts through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.